Well, happy Sabbath, everyone. Learn to do well is taken from uh, Isaiah 1.17. Please bow your heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this occasion to share your word with us. Lord, may what is to follow represent your will, your wisdom, and your guidance, and may it be pleasing in your sight. We say this in Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, a small group of public servants from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Ministry of National Defense, and the Canadian International Development Agency traveled from Ottawa to Kingston to participate as advisors in a series of exercises with the officer cadets at the Royal Military College in Kingston. Now, fortunately, these were not field exercises. Uh, they were, I guess, planning exercises or thought exercises. Basically, what happened is a number of scenarios were presented to the officer cadets, and they were supposed to come up with proposed solutions to them. And during that time, there were a number of them, but there's one that stands out particularly. And the scenario went something like this. Uh, Canadian troops in a foreign country are to build a bridge across a river. And on one side of the river, there's a village with friendly, helpful people who are supporting the Canadian troops in what they're doing. On the other side of the river, there's another village but people in that village are shooting at the, uh, at the troops. So the whole exercise looked at, you know, bringing the uh, material forward to build the bridge, uh, construct the bridge under fire, enemy fire, and uh, to clear the, uh, the opposing village. And then came the, uh, the interesting part. Uh, the opposing village has been cleared, the bridge has been built, and the relief supplies now come in, food, clothing, medicine, uh, reconstruction, material. And the question that was asked of the officer cadets is, well, what do you do now? And interestingly enough, almost unanimously, the officer cadets replied, well, we will give this material to the village on our side of the river because they helped us. And at this point, we had to step in and say, no, it doesn't work like that. What you do with those supplies is you give them to the people who need them. You don't give them to your friends. The key element is need. What do people need? Now, the advice that we gave to those cadets, quite frankly, was no more than a pale reflection of the example that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has given to us. So let's go back a bit in history to the time of Jesus' earthly ministry. In Matthew 15:21, Jesus is in Tyre and Sidon in present-day Lebanon. When he finishes his work, he is headed for Magdala, also known as Magadan, which is on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. As he approaches the Sea of Galilee to the north of Magdala, crowds begin to appear. They've probably been forewarned that he is coming, that he is approaching. And they bring to them forward their lame, their blind, their dumb, and their maimed. They were no doubt also aware that Jesus performed miracles. They had probably heard of the miracle with the 5,000 
they had probably heard of the miracles that he had done for the people in Syria. And the people now wanted Jesus to provide the same miracles for their sick family members, friends, and neighbors. And Jesus did so. Filled with wonder, the people continued to bring those in need for healing over two and then three days. And then came the miracle, the second miracle, which we're all familiar with, of the loaves and the fishes. And the focus of the story in Matthew 15 is quite rightly upon the miracle that Jesus performed in feeding the 4,000, plus women and children. But I want to focus on another aspect of that story. Matthew 15:32 reads, Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have continued with me for three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. So why did Jesus perform this miracle? Quite simply, because the people were hungry. The crowd had a need. And Jesus, in his compassion, identified that need and did something about it. But let's look at another miracle of Jesus, the one involving the daughter of Jairus. You remember the story from Mark 5. Jairus, a high officer in the synagogue, comes to Jesus asking for help for his 12-year-old daughter who lies deathly ill. You remember that after helping the woman who touched the hem of his garment, Jesus was informed that the girl had died. But he continued on. He saw the girl and raised her from the dead. A true miracle. But note this, in Mark 5.43, after his miracle, Jesus, to quote, commended that something be given her to eat, unquote. Why? Because Jesus knew that in all the time the girl had been lying ill on her deathbed, she had not eaten anything. So he knew that once awake, she would be hungry. Again, Jesus saw a need and he addressed it. So Jesus provides a clear example to all of us of the importance of responding to people's needs. He did it for multitudes, the 4,000, the 5,000, the 10 lepers. He did it for individuals, the man with the withered hand, the man with palsy, blind Bartimaeus, and many more. He did it out of love. The examples of Jesus' action should be enough, but in addition, the Bible contains many references to helping those in need. Isaiah 58, 7 reads, Is it not thy purpose to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thy bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him? Deuteronomy 10.18 says, He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widows, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Deuteronomy 24.19 states, Thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment in pledge. And James 2, 15, 16 tells us, If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needed to the body, what doth it profit? And Jesus himself famously tells us in Matthew 25, verses 35 to 40, the counterpart of the scripture reading that was given earlier. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. 
Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So there's ample evidence through deed and word that we should help those in need. But as, as an aside, let me ask you this question. Why do you think the Bible places so much emphasis on helping widows, orphans, and strangers? Do I have an answer? Well, let me tell you. Thank you. Quite simply, these at the time were three of the most vulnerable groups in society. In both Jewish and Roman societies, women were no better than second-class citizens. For example, a man could divorce his wife pretty well any time he felt like doing so. A woman could never divorce her husband. Women were not able to own property at that time. They were subject to the whims of their husbands. In some way, they were little more than chattel. So if her husband died, the woman, now widowed, was left destitute left with nothing. The lot of children at this time was little better. Oftentimes when families were unable to support their children, they would basically just throw them out. So if children lost their parents, they were subject to being exploited by unscrupulous people who would often force them into servitude, prostitution, and slavery. When I, when I worked in Sudan, one of the projects we supported was an orphanage. But it wasn't just any orphanage. It was an orphanage that met a very special need. We often think that Islamic societies have much stricter sexual moral codes than we do in the West. And in some ways, that is true. But in any society, people will do what people do. And what would happen is that young girls in Sudan would get pregnant, but they would hide their pregnancy because if it was real, revealed that they became pregnant outside of marriage, they would become outcasts and at times would be killed. So what these young girls would do when they gave birth was take the newborn baby out on the road and dump it on the side of the street. And so an orphanage was established to basically collect these babies. And what had to be done was that you had to basically go to the police, other authorities, municipal councils, and say, hey, don't throw these babies in the garbage. Bring them to this orphanage. We will take care of them. And these children were basically orphans for life because people there did not adopt babies who were born into, come, came into the world in that particular fashion. And the government also did not permit adoption of Muslim children by Christians or any other religion. So the, the children were there for life. And it was quite touching when you'd go into the, the orphanage. There were lots of babies, but there were also children of all sorts of ages. 
And they would come up to you and they would cling to your legs as you walked through visiting them. And it was very touching. It demonstrates, I think, that children, orphans still need our assistance, our help in this day and age. But strangers, visitors, immigrants, having left their own society, have none of the social support systems, local knowledge, friends, contacts that have enabled them in their home country to live normal lives. Instead, they are a new environment. They must depend on the locals, and they too may be exploited. They too need help. A few years ago, there was a song on the radio, and quite honestly, I don't remember who sung it, and I don't remember much about the song itself. But it did have one line that stuck in my mind. It went, everybody has a story that will break your heart. Everybody has a story that will break your heart. And that is very true. Every one of us, every single person on this planet has experienced hurt and pain, sadness and tears, turmoil and suffering. So why is it then that so many who have experienced need are unable to empathize, to appreciate the problems of others. To see, for example, that if our child was on drugs, that another parent might also suffer for the same reason and need the same reassurance and support that we required. Why are we unable to identify with, let alone help, with the problems that others might face? Let me just offer some food for thought. First, when we look at the number of problems in the world, the floods, the earthquakes, the violence, the poverty, the disease, the disabilities, the unemployment, the inhumanity of man towards man, we can be overwhelmed. It seems so hopeless. It seems there's nothing that can be done to help. So we do nothing. But, but. A few years ago, a man and his wife went on a holiday to a tropical island paradise. On the first night there, there was a massive storm with violent waves pounding the beach. At daybreak, as the wind subsided, the man took a walk down to the beach to see what was happening. As he strolled, he noticed that the beach was covered with starfish, which had been washed up on the beach and were now helplessly stranded. Once the sun broke through the clouds, they would dry out and die. Suddenly, he saw at the end of the beach a young boy picking up the starfish one at a time and throwing them back into the ocean. Why are you doing that? The man asked when he was close enough to be heard. Can't you see that you'll never be able to get all those starfish back in the water? There are just too many of them. Yes, that is true, the boy shrugged. Bending down, he picked up another starfish and tossed it back into the water. But it sure made a difference to that one. Mother Teresa once made the same point when someone said to her, there's so many poor people in India, what can anybody do? Start with one, she replied. Start with one. You know, we like to make generalizations about many different things. It, it helps us in a lot of aspects of life. And sometimes we generalize about nationalities. You know, Germans are super efficient. Frenchmen are great cooks. The English have no sense of humor. Well, that one might be true. Uh, Canadians are decent and respectful. In most cases, such generalizations are pretty harmless. But there can be a darker side. Some of you may remember when it was said that you have to be careful with Italians. They're all members of the Mafia. And in biblical terms, remember that the Samaritans were considered by Jews to be heretics 
worthy of persecution and death. Other generalizations, however, can be downright dangerous. We have some of these around today, you know. People on welfare are lazy bums who don't want to work. Immigrants are taking away our jobs. All Muslims are terrorists. Well, they aren't, they aren't, and they aren't. But what these generalizations do is to dehumanize people. We no longer see them as individuals with individual needs. Rather, they become part of some amorphous blob which warrants no consideration because fill in the blank. Such generalizations provide us with an easy excuse for not helping other human beings because we no longer see them as human. And the extreme example, of course, is what happened to the Jews at the time of the Holocaust. I can still remember seeing those Nazi propaganda films showing rats running all over the place while the words, the commentary, indicated quite clearly that the film was not about rats but about a certain group of people. But also perhaps part of the answer lies in our own sinful nature. We are fallen. We are fallen in every way. We are corrupted beings. And that includes the fact that our compassion, our empathy, our consideration, and our concern for our brothers and sisters has been diminished. Unless they are our family and friends, we tend to ignore the needs of others. And Jesus, in fact, recognized this. As he says in Luke 6.32, For if ye do good to them which are good to you, what thanks have ye? For sinners also do the name. At times we may be aware of a problem, but do not take the next step to provide any help. It's none of our business, we say. Uh, let the government take care of it. At times a problem or need may not even penetrate our consciousness. We are completely unaware because we have lost some of the qualities of love that God gave us at creation. Recall, for example, what the disciples said in Matthew 14:15. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the village and buy themselves victuals. So the dis disciples had identified a problem, the people were hungry, but they didn't really help. They didn't have the compassion of Christ, the compassion that Christ demonstrated on two separate occasions of the feeding of the masses. The modern day equivalent of this might be when a woman comes up to you on the street and says, sir, I need diapers for my baby, to which you helpfully reply, well, there's a shopper's drug mart just down the street and they have diapers on sale. But hold on, you might say, people do help. Look at the response to the Fort McMurray fire. Look at the responses to different ADRA appeals. Look at how people give to so many different charities. Yes, people do give. People do help, sometimes quite generously. And part of it, I think Paul touches on in Romans, when he alludes to the fact that somehow we retain some faint traces of the goodness that humans had before the, ball, before the fall. In some ways, it is still in our genes. Also, people will give when something is drawn to their attention. We see that time and time again. But what happens when music stops? What happens when something is not in the public eye? What happens in those cases which never become publicly known? Do we even think of them? Perhaps as Jesus noted in the parable of the sower of the seeds, many of us are like the seeds that fall among the thorns. We are choked with cares and riches 
and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But there is hope because there's always hope in Jesus Christ. He came to this earth to die for each and every one of us. He came to offer all of us salvation. He provides us with a blueprint of how we are to live our lives. We know from him what it is to have a Christ-like character. So we know that we are to help our neighbors. We know that we are to meet their particular needs. We know how we are to reflect the character of Christ. So let us continue to do so. Amen.